Welcome to the Storytellers Live podcast, where everyday people share real and personal stories. Some are profound and challenging, while others are more common and relatable, shared with honesty and humor. But all of these stories reveal what God can do in our lives when we trust Him with the details. Thanks for joining us. Hi, everyone. This is your host, Kelly, from the Storytellers Live team. On each episode, you'll hear a different woman share her story of God's transforming love. These stories are recorded in a live setting at weekly local gatherings, where we're aiming to build community through sharing, connecting, and encouraging one another. Most importantly, these stories reveal the faithfulness of God and how He can take what's ordinary and broken and exchange it for extraordinary and redeemed. Today, you'll hear from Ivy, who shared her story at a gathering in Vestavia, Alabama. For years, Ivy wrestled with resentment toward her father who had abandoned her family when she was just a child. The pivotal point came for her when she discovered the depths of God's grace for her, which in turn led her to a place where she could extend grace to her dad. You know, it's common to think of forgiveness as freedom for the one who caused the hurt. But Ivy found that the freedom of forgiveness was not for her dad, but for herself. Here she is. Well, first of all, I've, I've had this written. I've given my testimony many times to high school girls, mainly seniors. More importantly on how not to behave in high school, <laughs> but <laughs> just from personal experience. And my story is one that really starts when I was six, and it goes throughout m- my life. But I've, I've adjusted it, and I've learned so much through it. And I look back on things, and I, you know, I, I think as a mom, I'm like, if my kids didn't forgive me for something that I had done, and I didn't have a relationship with them, how would I feel? And it was kind of ironic. This morning I was getting dressed. I was kind of in a hurry. If you know me at all, like I'm just like a last minute person. Like I just, I mean, I'll get, I'll get, I can get showered, get ready, have my hair dry, everything in 25 minutes. Like I'm just the whole nine yards. But um, couldn't find my shoes this morning, <laughs> which is pretty typical. <laughs> and so I was like, I'll just run to Lauren Ann's closet and borrow a pair of her shoes. Well, I put these shoes on, and I was coming over here, and I thought, I'm standing in her shoes. And it's kind of ironic that I chose her shoes, because I can't imagine, and I don't don't want to start crying right now, but I can't imagine standing in her shoes right now and not having a relationship with her dad. And that's what this is about. This is not about, um, I don't want anyone to feel sorry for me at all. That's, I, don't, I don't like pity. It is a, a lot of what I brought on myself. I brought it on myself. But there were circumstances that were beyond my control. But this morning almost didn't happen. Sarah Beth had asked me this a long time ago, and there were all these roadblocks that kept coming up. And I've got a script, and I've got an outline, and I've got everything. And like I said, I've given this so many times. But I've never given it in front of my friends. And unless you grew up with me in Andalusia and you knew, you know, you knew me growing up and you knew my story, or maybe you knew my family from Atlanta, you really, you have no idea what my family went through. So, but the roadblocks that kept coming up when Sarah Beth had asked me and like timing and everything, they were just, I kept making, they were excuses. They were simply excuses. And I I work at, a lot of y'all know I work at Dolly Ridge. And I'm real picky about, I work in uh, special needs, and I'm real picky about who I have come in and sub for me. And I had put this sub in in September, and I didn't, even a week, half ago, I still had no one picked it up. And a friend of mine 
who was seven that day was at the school and she was like, I heard that you were going to be speaking at Storytellers. I was like, I know. And I, I don't have a sub and I, and I was, I don't want to leave the ones that I work with unattended. And she was like, I got this. You go. I've, I've got this. Don't freak out. So I just know that God put Tara there that moment, running up the stairs and, and helping just fulfill. It's a little bitty void, but I worry about not things not being taken care of. But I know that if this story changes one person's life, whether it's in this room or on this podcast, it's all worth it. Some of you don't know me, but I'm a mother of two. I have Lauren Ann, and she's a senior in high school, and I have Daniel, who's in the fourth grade. And they were, yes, they're eight years apart. They have the same daddy. So (laughs) anyways, we were those people. I had this um, stomach virus, um, right? Shortly after Brett and I got married, we were about six months later, and I just wasn't feeling good. And I kept, you know, kept going to work for about a month, and I was throwing up every single morning. And finally, my boss looked at me, and she goes, you're pregnant. And I was like, no, no I'm not pregnant. She goes, yes, you are. And uh, I was 23. I worked with Russian, Rushton. <laughs> and uh, she said, no, you are. So that began, that, that moment was the beginning of understanding what it's like to be in a parent's shoes. My amazing husband, Brett, I met him at Auburn, and that man has extended me more grace than I probably even deserve. But he's the reason that the reconciliation with my dad began. This was Brett. He, he's, he started, but God was always there in the process. I've worked in public relations for the past almost 20 years, but two years ago I decided I was ready to put that career aside and go into education. I'm working on my master's right now, but I'm paraeducator at Dolly Ridge, and I love it. I love it. I love working with the kids that I work with because it's always, it's every day, it's second chances. Every single day, it's starting over. And that's what I did with my dad. So I, I see God in little bitty things in this, in this moment with my father. If you know me at all, there's three things that I love. I love Jesus. I love my family and my friends. And I love Auburn football, and number two and number three can swap places <laughs> on any given Saturday. <laughs> I like to fight for the underdog, because I've been the underdog. I was Growing up, I was a kid that m- might not have made it. I was a kid who kept running into roadblocks. I, w- I was that child. I realized when I was 20 years old, my faith was so immature. Like, it wasn't not—I said I was a believer— And I went to church, and I did all the things I was supposed to do. But I didn't understand God's love for me, His grace, His forgiveness. I didn't understand any of it. I had no roadmap. I was still extremely angry from things that had happened in my childhood, but I didn't realize it. Today, I want to share with you my story of forgiveness, humility, and how God took a broken family, a very broken family, and showed us the freedom of forgiveness. This was not just freedom and humility for my dad, it was for me as well. So when I was six, my parents divorced and it was it was a messy, messy divorce. I don't remember much before that, but my main memory I have is we were in Atlanta we lived in Atlanta and the I remember it was right before my birthday party and my mom was a hard working nurse. I mean she's both my parents worked but I mean, we still had a pretty comfortable life, and someone came to the door one mo- that morning and told my mom he was. They were repossessing my mother's car, and my mother was like, "What?" I remember, like, I remember standing in the doorway, and he's like, "Ma'am, I'm sorry. We've we've got to repossess your car." And my mom was like, 
she didn't know what's going on. We're having a birthday party. My dad was gone. He was playing golf that morning. So the, imagine the heated argument that came in when my dad walked in 15 minutes before my birthday party started. And my, he was like, where's your car? And she was like, I don't know. Why don't you, why don't you tell me? And I remember that. That's nothing the six-year-old should remember, but I do remember that. I remember them going on our screened-in porch, and they came back in, and I heard, overheard my mom tell her best friend, hey, you're, we're, we're moving in a week. My, my mother made that split-second decision, and I'm sure it's something probably she'd been thinking about, but she made a split-second decision. She's like, that's it. So this birthday party is about to occur. I was like, deer in the headlight. Ironically, we wouldn't know for many, many years later, my stepmother was in the room when it happened. And she deserves a lot of credit in this whole process as well. I remember sitting when we left, I remember sitting in the back seat of my car. My dad was standing in the driveway and we left. And my mom, but I think she probably borrowed my grandparents' car. If I think now that I think back on it, it's like my mom and my grandfather and my brother, myself, and I remember the cat, and the cat was like bellowing in the back of the car. You all know that like painful bellow a cat gives. And I was like, <laughs> that, I remember that like just sinking in my heart, and that's really how I felt too. And, and we left, and we moved to Alabama. My mom moved in with her grandparents, and she she just had to figure out where she was going to start. So she moves her job. She comes to Alabama. She worked in Montgomery for a little while. We lived right outside Montgomery, and for about a year. And then she took a job as head of the ER in Andalusia. And so she, my mom had a sister in Andalusia. So we moved there and we had cousins and she just kind of felt like we needed to be with family. So for a year, my dad would come in and, you know, he did, the, you know, he paid the child support. He did the show, you know, he showed up. We moved to Andalusia. That's five hours away from Atlanta. And so, you know, this once every other week became once a month, then it became once a quarter. And then we didn't really see him after that. So by the time I'd turned eight, I had I felt the fear of abandonment, and I was the kid who misbehaved at school. I was in the principal's office. Miss Wyndham knew me up close and personal. I wouldn't necessarily say she probably was the most gracious principal, but I look back on it now, but my teacher was. I will never forget Miss Sebeson. Probably I didn't deserve, you know, as a kid, you know, like I, I was acting out due to the abandonment that I, and I was seeing a counselor. And now my brother wasn't having these problems because he was just too little to remember, but I was. And these are problems that really just kind of spiraled out of control. And when I was nine, my mom remarried. And um, I know she did it in an effort to make our family whole again. And what seemed like a good situation at first was not. At all, he was physically and mentally abusive, not only to my mother but to my brother and I as well. And this was something that I, I looked at later on in life, and I was like, maybe this is why I'm so tough. Maybe this is something that it's because if you know me at all, you know I've I've got a tough outer shell, but I really am deep down inside I'm not at all. But he was. We didn't know. We didn't know the person that was going to come home. We didn't know the person that was going to show up at three o'clock on a Saturday afternoon. We had no idea. We lived on pins and needles for a long time. And my mom, she was so anxious to keep our family together because she really, I mean, she grew up in a very strong Christian family, and she really believed that, you know, this is, you know, we, we got to do whatever it takes. And she worked so hard, and she, she really felt like things will get better. But they didn't. And as, you know, y'all know, and you have middle schoolers, you know, hormones come in, tempers come in. And my, my temper went from where it was already not great as a ch- small child to out of control. I mean, I was extremely angry in middle school. 
But I started going to church, and I kind of felt like, okay, this is an escape. This is a way that maybe somebody, you know, this is an escape from not being at home in a bad situation. The worst thing, I guess, looking back on it, the worst thing was my brother was still left there. But they, they started to have, like, parallel programs where they could be, you know, he could be there, too. So that, that made it a little bit easier. But and I always looked out for him. Like, that was, I mean, even still, <laughs> in our 40s, we still look out for each other. But um, but anyway, we, I would go to church, and we had this youth minister who was, I mean, he was on fire for the Lord. Like, he was, I mean, saving kids at a rapid rate. Like, I mean, if we had a revival, you can guarantee there was at least 10 of them walking out there that were getting baptized next Sunday. We had been, I'd been going to these events, and I can honestly say I didn't really understand. But I went to one morning, Sunday morning at church. I decided, hey, I'm going to walk to the front. So that's usually something a kid talks to their parents about, right? No, no, I did not. I didn't because I was afraid of my stepdad mocking me. Okay, so mind y'all, I already have an issue with my own dad not being there for us. My stepdad, he just was an extremely sarcastic, abusive person who, I mean, had faith nowhere in his life, but my mother was making every effort to try to change him. She really was. So I walked to the front, and my mother was just like, oh my gosh, I remember telling Reverend Foster, I was like, oh, I'm ready to get baptized at 12, and my mom's like, pump the brakes. She's like, do you know what, you, do you understand? Are you up here out of faith, or are you up here out of fear? I was like, oh, I'm up here out of, you know, I, I think you get called up in the moment. She said, well, we're going to go to some counseling sessions before. And I was like, oh, Lord, I've been here before. <laughs> so we go, I go to these counseling sessions and feelings about my dad and the abandonment came out with our minister. And, and he told her, he said, but you know, maybe, Reverend Foster was like, Beth, maybe Ivy needs this. Maybe she needs this in her life as an anchor. And she was, mom was like, okay. I get baptized and um, I brought this, <laughs> I brought my Bible that my mom gave me the day that I was baptized. And um, y'all can see it has been loved. It has been highlighted um, and everything. But I, I hang on to this because this was, this was the beginning of where I am now. And it was funny. I, I opened up, when I opened up this Bible, I opened it up to the Bible verse that I'm going to share with y'all in a minute. But it also had in here in God's time. And I, want, I do want to read that to you in a moment. But my father, still in this whole process, y'all, there was not a, not a phone call, not a child support payment, nothing made. And I know it was hard for my mother. But finally, a stopping point came not long after my baptism. I remember it was in the spring, and we were about to finish school. We were sitting there, and my, my mom's brother, and she has a mom has a much younger brother, and so they were like the fun aunt and uncle. And we're sitting in the den, and I'd been coloring outside on sawball talk with my cousins. And he came back in and he said, who's coloring on the sidewalk? And I was like, oh, the rain will wash it away. I was just kind of, and he was, he walked up and y'all, and I'm like, come on, he was an alcoholic. And he took his beer and he dumped his beer on my head in front of our family. And I remember the look from my cousins, from my aunts and my uncles. And my mom, younger brother, y'all, if one person could fly at that moment, it was him. I mean, across the room. And he grabbed him, and he took him out, escorted him outside. I have no idea what happened after that. My aunt walked out with all of us, and they were like, never again. So my brother and I went to live with my grandparents for about three months until my mom could get, they just, they had to remove us from the situation. And my mom had to get things back in gear, so she had to start over again. She'd already done it once. Six years later, she's having to do it again. So, you know, she's like, you know, where has this led our family and 
I was going to church, but y'all, at that, after that happened, it was just kind of like just a slow spiral downward. And my grandparents, who were the most amazing people, I think if it had not been for them, I would have an extremely different story right now. Extremely different. Um, my grandfather, who's very, he's military, and he was, you know, very staunch. I remember him, they had just moved back, moved to Andalusia, and he told my mother, he said, this is not going to happen. We will take the children in. So they did, and we went to church, but my grandmother was your typical Baptist woman where we were showing up every single Sunday. I can say that, you know, my faith was just still just, it was just kind of just hanging there. It wasn't going anywhere. Like it was, I was just your typical high school student. But those toward high school, my grandmother would probably best describe me as hell on wheels with no brakes. And that's a fair, that was, that's a really fair thing. But toward the end of high school, my dad decided that, um, you know, he wanted to be back in our lives again. So y'all can just imagine all those years of the anger and the pain and the frustration. And I was not going to budge. I was not budging and I was not, um, I didn't, I didn't want that relationship. It was nothing but an inconvenience for me at that moment. I thought, how, how dare he come in at this point in my life and shake my world up and give us, make something that's already hard that much harder is, is how I saw it. So I graduated. I remember he was at my graduation and at Andalusia. They always ask the parents to stand up when you walk across. And I remember walking across the stage. And I remember seeing my dad standing up and I was so angry. At that point in time, that was the biggest moment in my life. And I was so angry that he was there. And I was, I wasn't having it. So we go to college. I go to college. I go to Auburn. And I remember praying. I went to a Bible study one night with, with my roommate. And I I'd had, of course, a series of bad boyfriends, as, as we all have. They handed this, and I've kept, I've hung on to this thing all these years. And even having two, you know, father figures in my life that really had, I mean, my, my eyes had failed me. My grandfather was extremely, he was very, very stable. But this is in God, God's time, and this is something I prayed, and I prayed it so hard. It says, in God's time, everyone longs to give themselves completely to someone to have a deep soul relationship with another, to be loved thoroughly and exclusively. But God to a Christian says, No, not until you are satisfied, fulfilled, and content with being loved by me alone, with giving yourself completely, unreservedly to me, having an intensely personal relationship with me alone, discovering that, that only in me is your satisfaction to be found. Will you be capable of the perfect human relationship that I have planned for you? You will never be united with another until you are united with me, exclusive of anyone or anything else, exclusive of any other desires or longings. I want you to stop planning, stop wishing, and allow me to give the most thrilling plan existing, one you cannot imagine. I want you to have the best. Please allow me to bring it to you. You just keep watching me, expecting the greatest of things. Keep experiencing the satisfaction that I am. Keep listening and learn from the things that I tell you. You just wait. That is all. Do not be anxious. Do not worry. Do not look around at the things that have, others have gotten or I've given them. Do not look at all the things you want. You just keep looking off and away up to me or you'll miss what I have to show you. And then when you're ready, I'll surprise you with a love far more wonderful than anything you would dream of. You see, until the one I have for you is ready, I'm working even at this moment to have you both ready at the same time. You are both satisfied exclusively with me and the life I have planned for you. Won't be able to experience a love that exemplifies your relationship with me and thus the perfect love. And dear one, I want you to have the most wonderful love. I want you to see in the flesh the picture of your relationship with me and enjoy materially and concretely the everlasting union of beauty, perfection, and love. Know that I love you utterly. I'm God. Believe and be satisfied. And that's it in this verse that... That, and I've had this for a long time. Three weeks later, I went on my first date with Brett. 
after having that. And it was so crazy because at that moment, I went on my first date with him. It was a date party. We had so much fun. And then he asked me out. And I had prayed all along. I was like, I want something that I can have an example to my children for. And he was that example. And so when we started dating, and I knew, I knew off the bat that was it. And when I was 19 years old, I knew right off the bat. When, as we were getting to know each other, and I took him to Andalusia, he's like, can you tell me about your dad? I'm like, we're not talking about it. I was like, that, we're just not talking about it. And he was like, this is crazy. I mean, he's got a good relationship with his parents. He's like, this is nuts. I, I, don't, I don't get this. And I was like, we're just not talking about it. He was like, okay. So he never pushed the situation. But he has served as a, as a silent leader in this whole process. So we get married about three years later, and yeah, four years later. And after we got married, well, let me back up two seconds. I have one cousin on my dad's side, and Lauren was in our wedding, and she had told my dad when Brett and I got engaged, she said, you know, Ivy is getting married, and I'm in her wedding. And he's, oh, really? She didn't tell me she got engaged. I mean, y'all didn't tell my dad. I mean, we were engaged for a month and a half, and I didn't tell my dad. And Lauren's like, I think you need to call him. And I was, it was the day before I graduated from Auburn. And my dad called me, and he was like, so you're getting married? And I was like, mm-hmm, sure am. I'm graduating from Auburn. Like, I mean, if it couldn't have been any more deadpan. And he was like, okay. Now, if my dad was at the graduation and didn't tell me, I have no idea. But I can tell you he wasn't there when I got married. He was not in the room. He did not give me away because it was easier, in my mind, for me to handle it. For well, three months afterwards, that same cousin who told him that we were getting married was diagnosed with acute um, melatonin leukemia. And Lauren was, she's my, like I said, she's the only cousin on my dad's side. So my brother and I were her siblings. So losing her six weeks after she was diagnosed, because it happened that quickly, was not just a, not, you're just not losing somebody, you're losing your sibling. And so we were thrust into having to deal with each other again. But once again, I wasn't having it. I was stubborn. I was, I felt like my fear and my, my, or my anger and my pain was totally justified. Even though, like I said, y'all, I mean, I was going to Bible studies. I was believing, I was ignoring that part of my life. I just wanted to sweep it under the rug and move on. But that wasn't God's plan at all. So our family's thrust into this moment. I don't do well with, I need, I need preparation. I need mental preparation. And so, but we didn't have that chance. And when Lauren was in, she had received a bone marrow transplant. When I tell you all, it all happened so quickly. It happened very quickly. She and I were sitting at UAB and I was in, I worked right across the street. And so she said, you know, Ivy, I lost my dad, which was my dad's brother. And it was the hardest thing I've ever gone through. I beat cancer once when I was 10. I lost my dad when I was 16. And now I'm back in the hospital. And she said, losing my dad was harder than the two of those things combined. But y'all, at that, I still didn't see it. God was putting a tragic moment in front of me. I did not see it. it. We were forced to have to deal with each other right after her death again. I didn't see it. I didn't want to see it. A few months later, I found out that I'm pregnant. And that stomach virus that I told y'all I had is will be 18 in the next 10 days. <laughs> and we named her Lauren. And we named her Lauren because she's a constant reminder of the person Looking back on it, he truly changed the course of everything for our family. We moved to Fairhope. My dad wasn't there when Lauren was born. When she was three, we moved to Fairhope. We're driving down the road. And if y'all have ever met Lauren Ann, she's probably, I don't, I don't know why I have this child. I certainly don't deserve her. <laughs> but we're driving down the road in sweet little Fairhope, Alabama. And she said, Mom, I miss my dad. And I was like, I miss him too. Brad had been traveling. Oh, she said, when's he coming home? I said, I'll be home on Friday. 
And then it was just like something shifted at that moment. She said, where's your dad? I don't know your dad. Her sweet little voice from the back of my car said that to me. And y'all, I hit the brakes. That tough shell that I had built all these years just, I mean, crumbled into a million pieces right there. It dawned on me at that very moment that that child did not know my dad. She didn't, she would not understand my anger. And I should never, at the, at that time, I should never put that weight on a kid. There's, a, there's no reason for it. And I just said, you know, honey, you know, we, we've had a lot of fights and it's been really, she said, well, can't you just say you're sorry? <laughs> I mean, Jesus said we'd have to say we're sorry. <laughs> I mean, she's right. So that was a Wednesday. Brett came home on Friday. I was still a mess on Friday about it. And Brett's like, Ivy, you've got to deal with this. I've been telling you for a long time, you've got to take care of this. And I was like, I know. So Sunday we show up at church, and lo and behold, what is the message? Forgiveness. <laughs> and we're Methodists, and we say the Lord's Prayer every single Sunday. But do y'all know, at least I never paid attention, after, you end, after we end the Lord's Prayer, the next two verses... I didn't know him. I can honestly say. It says, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father in heaven will not forgive your sins. And that's Matthew 6, 14 through 15. But I'd said that, I'd said the Lord's Prayer every single Sunday for as long as I can remember. And I never knew the next two verses afterwards. So, of course, I come home, and I'm a complete mess. And um, he said, you, I want you to go to counseling. And I was like, well, here we go again. <laughs> but I knew at that point in my life, counseling was not a sign of weakness. It was a sign of healing. On a Monday afternoon, that was Sunday, Monday afternoon, I was in Rob Haynes' office, and he was like, Ivy, have you ever thought that maybe your dad has asked God for forgiveness for what he's done all these years? Never once did I ever think that my dad had asked for forgiveness, and all he did was pray that we would forgive him. <laughs> the next morning, my stepmother, who I told y'all, was in the room when my parents, their marriage was falling apart, and there was nothing going on back then, I mean, at all. They had gotten married probably, it was probably about a year after that, or before that, rather. Um, but she, Connie called me, and she said, I, have, I need to tell you something. And I was like, well, how'd you even get my cell phone number? And she said, well, she called my aunt. She said, your dad is going in for quad bypass. And she said, it does not look good, like, at all. And I was like, well, what am I going to do about this right now? And she said, do you want to talk to your dad? She said, because when I tell you, he might not make it off the table. I'm not exaggerating. And I, and I knew Connie well enough as a child that I know she was not. And I said, like, what are his ch- Like, if I talk to him, is he going to... Is he going to die before he goes in there? I mean, like, is this going to work him up so much? And she, I said, because I don't want that to happen. And she said, I think you need to talk to him. And I, at that split second, I remember the conversation I had with my best friend's dad when I was in high school. And he was kind of like, he adopted me kind of as his third daughter. But Mr. Wells, we were at the beach one time. And he just, you know, he was just being a, being a dad. And he said, I mean, you ever talk to your dad? He knew the answer to that question. But he wanted to see what I was going to say. And I was like... I mean, he might as well be dead to me. Those were my exact words. And at that moment, I was like, this could really happen. And if he leaves this world, and I haven't at least reconciled this moment, I will live a life of regret and pain. And I don't want that. So I talked to my dad. And it was, he said, Ivy, I've prayed for 23 years that you would forgive me for all the pain that I've caused you and your brother. He said, I pray that you would forgive me for not being a part of your life, being in major moments like your wedding. 
college graduation, when your children were born, all these things. Will you please, please forgive me? And y'all, that man was about to, I mean, if he had not made it off that table, he, I could not grant him forgiveness. I mean, he, he point blank, just this grown man, just let it go. And I said, yes, daddy, I forgive you. And for the first time in my life, I remember telling him that I loved him and I was 28 years old. And he, it's not like it all changed at that moment, y'all. It it took some time. It was not, I mean, Daniel was born and he he has been an active part with both of my children in every facet he can possibly be in. He has been at more things for them than, I mean, it's a drive for him and my stepmom to come, but they still do it. And had I not granted forgiveness and grace at that moment, he would not, my, I would not see my children have the joy that they have when he walks in the door. And to understand, nothing is beyond forgiving, not one thing. And it's exactly what Rob Haynes said to me. He said, Javi, God has forgiven him too. He's forgiven you, and he has forgiven your husband, and he has forgiven every single person that you have come in contact with, whether they have asked for it or not. And there's freedom in this. And y'all, I will tell you, at that moment, I knew it was a weight that was lifted off my chest. It was the ability to teach my children lessons in relationship and reconciliation. It brought me so much more than just my relationship with my dad. It taught me lessons and it provided an example for my kids and some other children that I've had to talk with who've gone through the same thing. It's not just a story and it is, it is an ongoing thing. And it's been an example to my mother too. And my mom, there says some things that she does struggle with as a you know, former spouse many years later, but she, has, she said it was the example of forgiveness that she needed as well. My brother has done well. My brother's done beautifully with it. If it makes you a better, it's made me a better parent. It's made me a better wife. It has made me a better friend because I've realized even though when my friends have made mistakes, I still, it is my job. God has called us all to forgive. And, you know, Micah 6, 8 says, do justly, love mercy, walk humbly. When you love mercy, that was the biggest lesson I learned, was loving with mercy. And uh, it's the best lesson I have taught my children. Nothing, not one thing is not worth, the anger is not worth holding on to. You just forgive and let it go. Thanks for joining us today. If you are struggling with forgiveness or reconciliation yourself, I hope that you're encouraged that it is not a natural or an easy process for anyone. And while it seems like we should wait on the feelings to come of, okay, I'm okay with this now, sometimes it takes a step of obedient faith to extend grace and forgiveness, simply because that's what Jesus has done for us, and then allow God's mercy and love to transform and heal our heart. It doesn't make sense to our logical minds, but the feelings of forgiveness often come after that step of extending it. We'll be back next Wednesday with another new story, and we would love for you to hit subscribe and to rate or review us on whatever platform you use. All of those reviews help the podcast to reach new ears. Be sure to follow us on social media and go to our website, storytellerslive.org, where you can find the latest news and announcements as well as the local gathering so you can see if there's one in your area. We're so glad you chose to listen to Storytellers Live today, and we hope you'll join us again soon. 